0: Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams.
1: Hello, and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, a weekly podcast in which we talk about the secrets behind living the life you've always dreamed of. I'm Ellen Barton, and today my guest is Anne Campanella. Anne is a writer and poet and she's the author of Motherhood Lost and Found, a memoir that chronicles Anne's journey with caring for her mother as she lost more and more of herself to Alzheimer's and during that time Anne was also trying to get pregnant and start a family of her own but she suffered miscarriage after miscarriage. Throughout all of this Anne's savior was her horse Crimson who was the glue that helped to hold her together and this is what the book is about. Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ellen. I am thrilled to be here. Wonderful. Well, Anne, what you describe in your book must have been just an incredibly difficult time to go through. I'm wondering if you can tell us you know what that was like, just watching your mother's awareness of the world falling apart like that, falling away like that, and you know, the, just dealing with that painful experience.
0: Yes, definitely. It was, I think it was extra hard because I had never experienced um, a real loss in my family like that. And as my mother has said at some point, um, even in the book, she said, you know, Anne, you've never really suffered hardship. And I hadn't, and I didn't know it. Life had sailed along quite easily for me. I had gone to a good college, gotten a good job, married a good man, we had a good life, I had horses, I had riding students, I had just everything was sort of swimming along nicely, and then to have sort of the underpinnings of my life slowly begin to crumble, um, suddenly um, at the very same time... My mother just wasn't quite herself, and I was going through the loss of miscarriage, so she wasn't able to comfort me, and it was, it was life-shattering. I just really did not expect, I was only in my early 30s, I did not expect to just kind of bump up against a time where suddenly my mother wouldn't be there for me. Um, I had just been privileged to have this wonderful mother wisdom throughout my life up until then, and suddenly she wasn't who she had always been at the same time when I was really suffering. Um, so it was not easy.
1: Yeah, I know. Going through what you went through, I'm sure you just wanted to curl up in your mom's lap and have her take care of you.
0: I did. I did. And there were sweet moments when she understood that and would be comforting. And then there were moments when she had no idea what I was talking about. And she really was just unable to focus on
1: anything outside of herself. That that must have been quite a challenge for you. And I, I'm glad that you brought up that thing that your mom said about you never having been through hardship. Because when you know, it seemed like in the book when she said that, you were pretty offended by that. But it, it turns out that it was a big learning experience, too. Yes. And as so often happens with mothers and daughters,
0: mother wisdom is not always um, the thing that daughters want to hear. Um, I'm realizing that now as a te- as I have a teenager. And... Um, and I won't say too much about her to keep her uh, privacy, but um, even at that age of, you know, early 30s, I didn't want to hear it. And I thought, Mom, you know, you just need to be in my corner. And it turned out she actually, she was totally right. And I hadn't had a lot of hardship. Um, However, if she'd been in another state of mind, she definitely would have reached out even if she was delivering some wisdom, she would have done it much more
1: gently. Right, right, sure. And we, we never stopped needing our moms, definitely.
0: Exactly.
1: So it seemed as if the, the universe had this extra warped sense of humor at the time because you were going through all of this stuff with your mom and your, your miscarriage is trying to get pregnant. And then in the midst of it all, your dad died pretty suddenly and you were left as the main caregiver
0: yes yes i actually remember thinking you know don't think it can't get worse because the next bad thing was about to happen um and my father even though he was 80 when he died he had been such a uh, sense of strength for me in my life i always relied on him and his physical body was not in great shape but mentally he was doing pretty well and he had a fall and um broke his hip and within two weeks he was gone and it it was that time was extra difficult because you know the whole family we converged in the moorhead house as we called it moorhead city north carolina and uh, in order to care for my father and to take care of my mother and, it, and everyone was spread thin, and I, I was very blessed to have siblings who cared deeply for my parents, and we, we worked alongside together, um, but, yeah, to to lose him right at that point was just another really big blow.
1: Yeah, it, it's, you know, my heart kind of breaks for you for all that you were going through, and I'm sure that many listeners will relate to your story on a personal level, and, um, it seems that most people who end up going through this, as I guess we all do on, on some level eventually, um, in one way or another, we all have to deal with loss. Uh, many people find that they, y- you know, they turn to a best friend for support or a spouse or, you know, most of us do end up finding support somewhere, sometimes in surprising places. And for you, it was your horse Crimson. Yes.
0: Yes. My husband, who he was a source of support, but he was traveling internationally at the time, so it was just hard to stay connected with him on a daily basis because I never knew what city he was in, and we weren't um, as connected at that time as we would have liked to be. And my horse was—he was on the farm uh, where we lived, and. I was caring for him, which was an added burden, but at the same time, just seeing him and having his presence be there. uh, And those who love horses and have a relationship with them will understand how horses have this uncanny ability to absorb whatever it is you're feeling. And I could spend hours just grooming crimson and If I was just totally lost emotionally He would just take that in and I would leave the barn and feel a little bit lighter and just Sense that he understood and he was there for me. So he was an amazing gift
1: Yeah, and there is something about horses, you know, they're great healers and someone said to me recently something about horses being, because they're prey animals, they're hyper alert. You know, they, they really do tune into your energy. And yes. yeah. And I don't know if you um, know this, you know, maybe you do. I, I think perhaps I did, but I heard it again the other day and I was surprised. But horses can sense a human heartbeat from four feet away and match it with their own heartbeat. Wait, did you know that?
0: Yes. You know, I've read that recently, it seems like, on the internet and uh-huh. a couple of times. And I thought, that makes sense um, because I I felt that. I definitely felt that. Um, Crimson was actually a, a grandson of Secretariat and... I believe I've read that Secretariat had an extra large heart in order to do everything he did. And my horse Crimson just, to me, felt as if his heart was, um, you know, three times the size of a normal horse because he just would absorb everything that I brought to him. And between miscarriage after miscarriage, the loss of my father, the daily difficulties I was dealing with with my mother he just he never never turned away it was just sort of as if he had open palms going you know whatever you need I'm here for you and oh my goodness it's just amazing
1: yeah yeah absolutely it's it it really you know I'm a horse person too and it always fascinates me how they do have this healing ability and and I've experienced it on a smaller scale, but anytime I'm mm-hmm. feeling off or I have a headache or aches and pains, or you know anything going yeah. on or I'm in a bad mood, yeah. right. um, you know, they just take it away,
0: yes. and they're so in the present, you know it's really hard to go down to the barn. and I'm sure you have felt this. And just be sort of somewhere off in your head. Mm -hmm. But, you know, once you get sort of grounded and you're touching your horse and you're smelling that sweet spice that they have and, uh, you know, you're picking up their hooves and suddenly I feel like I'm in my body and horses help me ground myself and just be more of who I am instead of just sort of off somewhere mentally, you know, drifting so it's, uh, it's amazing the capacities they have.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And at, th- at the place where I keep my horse, they do a lot of um, therapy with horses too. They, they work with um, kids with autism and other physical disabilities and veterans with PTSD. And oh, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see people actually transform in the presence of the horses. Yes,
0: you know it's funny. I, I haven't talked about this. I don't think on any other podcast. But I grew up um, with some PTSD because my father was. Um, he fought in a couple of wars, World War II and Korea, and I believe he came home with PTSD, and he would get angry at different things and just the sound of his voice um when he would sort of blow up over something would cause me to kind of go into a state of uh, i don't know what you'd call it but just shock and Mm -hmm. and even to this day that ptsd is it's less than it used to be but it's there and i have always felt a I felt drawn to horses that were abused, and those horses that have had that, uh, sort of that similar kind of um, conditioned response. There was one in particular that nobody could ride, and particularly men, I guess. Uh, if men tried to get on this horse, that they could not. The horse would buck them off. And this horse and I just connected on this beautiful level where I felt like I didn't even have to give the horse AIDS, but it would take the things that were in my mind and do them. And it was just an amazing experience. Somehow that that pathway was so clear between me and the horse because of our similar, I think, um, sort of wounding in childhood. And we just, I felt as if we were healing each other
1: by just being together and, and riding and um, spending time that way. Oh, that's beautiful. That, that kind of gives me goosebumps, as did some of the passages in your book when you're talking about riding. And there's that mm-hmm. one passage where you're having a nice canter through the field, and then all of a sudden, your horse decides to race.
0: Oh, yes, yes. That, you know, it was a shock because Crimson by nature was very low key and kind of a horse that you had to urge to move on. But when he sensed that there was a race in the making, he just took off. And suddenly I really had the sense that I was astride a thoroughbred um, on a racetrack and we were not stopping until um, he passed the other horses that we were actually on a trail ride with other horses. He passed one and then the other. And there was nothing I could do to slow him down. And it, I had tears from the wind that was whipping across my face. And I just, I felt his muscles underneath me. And it was an incredible, the strength that he had, but also the power. And there was definitely a sense of fear in me knowing that there's no telling what he's going to do and I just have to hang on for the ride and that was sort of a metaphor for my book which I didn't realize that that was what I was going into as my um, mother was losing her abilities and I was going through the experience of losing children through miscarriage. Suddenly life was just like that race.
1: And this passage gave me goosebumps when i read it i thought it was beautiful and as you say it turns out to be a a good metaphor for the book i wonder if you could just um, read it for us
0: i'd be happy to thank you ellen trying to escape my thoughts i nudge crimson into a canter my chest swells at the clatter of his hooves against the hard pan Rising out of the stirrup into a hand-gallop position, I sink my weight into the stirrups and press my hands against the crest of my horse's mane. His breathing, like his hoofbeat, becomes regular as a locomotive. When he gallops, I remember that he is a descendant of Secretariat, and I think of the day he took off across a meadow. On a trail ride with friends, the horses began pulling at their bits, wanting to run. It was a cool morning, There was an open field ahead. We were feeling fearless, so we thought, why not? Crimson and I started out behind the other two women and their mares, but when he sensed a race in the making, his neck stretched out and his body instinctively lowered. He's so reliable by nature, I never imagined I would lose control of him. But that day, his canter strengthened into a full gallop and his neck hardened to steel, His jaw was set, and no amount of pulling on the reins would slow him down. All I could do was hunch down and hold tight to his mane. We surged past one horse, then another. Wind tore through my hair and lashed my face, whipping tears from my eyes. Crimson's hooves thundered over the ground. My body felt the vibrations that ran up his legs, the strands of his muscles beneath me tensing and flexing. It was only after he was well in the lead that his pace began to slacken. At the edge of the field, I was finally able to slow Crimson down enough to circle and eventually bring him back to a trot. The other women, open-mouthed, caught up to us. He really is a racehorse, Anne. I pressed my quivering palms against Crimson's firm neck as I nodded. I had caught a glimpse of how life could change in an instant.
1: Ah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Anne. Oh, you're so welcome. But I'm curious, um, how, so you've, you've always been a writer, you're a poet, you're a writer, you've always loved horses. How are writing and riding related to you, for you?
0: That is a great question. You know, I've always, as you say, been a writer, and writing has been very, um, what's the word? it just keeps you in your chair you're not moving around a lot and and yet mentally you are just moving into so many exciting places and somehow for me writing was just a wonderful writing with the d it was such a wonderful compliment to being still physically because suddenly I was moving physically as I rode my horse, and mentally no longer was I um, just exploring all these different places. My mind actually quieted as I would ride, and riding would allow me to just center myself in my body. So those two elements just found sort of a yin and a yang within me and that was an amazing gift.
1: Yeah, that's beautifully put, thank you. Sure. Yeah, and then, so you're having all these incredible experiences that you write about in the book. At what point during caring for your mother and her illness did you actually start writing this all down and and start thinking that maybe this is a story that you needed to tell?
0: Well, I had been journaling throughout um, because that's just how I process life. And I had been a newspaper reporter and a magazine um, story writer. And, but I wasn't really thinking about writing the whole story until, let's see, I probably had three journals full of just exactly what was happening. And at a certain point, um, maybe a couple of years into it, I remember being at the barn and there was a kind of a soft breeze. And I just I had this moment where I thought, you know, this is this is really my story. And as much as I've been writing other people's stories in newspaper articles and magazine articles, it just came very clear to me that this was the story that I was meant to write. And it helped me kind of step out of the grief of what I was experiencing and I thought you know I as a writer have always and coming from a family of writers and readers I've always looked to um, wonderful memoirs and books to help me through difficult experiences and I thought you know I think this is my opportunity to provide that for, who knows, maybe just one other person um, or, you know, if I'm blessed, more than one. And so that just sort of came to me in that way.
1: And then did your experience as a newspaper writer help you kind of pull yourself out of that difficult and emotional experience you were having and write more um, from a higher level view or were you having trouble like getting out of it when you were still in it if that makes sense
0: yes it makes total sense and um it's funny Ellen because I hate to admit this but I feel like I have always seen myself as a character in my own life sort of the play of my own life and so even as a young child I saw that and you know here at the beach I'm the woman walking down the down the beach and what all, what's happening around me, and so as this was happening, it was just a natural to kind of step out and go, all right, all this is going on, and it really it helped me because I'm not somebody who, while I was really uh, feeling very deeply the losses, I'm not somebody who stays in that emotional pit. I I definitely. I so enjoy the process of writing and the process of almost a, a cinematography type way of looking at things that that brought me, it always lifted me out of um, sort of the morass that I could get in when I was um, dealing with a, the depth of caretaking. So the writing was, was a wonderful gift for me in that way.
1: Mm, and I think that really comes through in the book. So... That's, I, I, I'd call it a big success. Oh <laughs> thank the you. end, thank you. Um, so, Anne, throughout all of this, you know, there was all different kinds of pain—the pain of see, seeing your mom, kind of regress into herself, and of course, your dad's death. And part of the 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 stuff that you were dealing with was around this pregnancy. You're trying to get pregnant, and you had this series of miscarriages that was very difficult especially in light of everything else that was going on. If you don't mind uh, sharing with us, what was that condition that was making it so difficult for you to get pregnant? Sure, Ellen. Um, I had a condition known as a translocated chromosome.
0: And what it meant was that a piece of one of my chromosomes had broken off and attached to another piece. So I had everything that was necessary, chromosomes in slightly different places which basically caused um, me to have a a 50% chance of miscarriage, 25% chance that there would not be enough genetic material um, in a fertilized egg or fertilized fetus, and 25% that there would be too much genetic material. In both of those cases, there would be a miscarriage, and then 50% chance or 25% chance that the fetus would be a carrier um, and 25% chance that the
1: child would be would not have a chromosomal abnormality. Mm, my goodness, those are some some serious odds. Um. Yes, yes. It was not pleasant to, to look ahead and think, oh, this is what
0: I'm facing. And then, of course, there are other uh, reasons for miscarriage that aren't as well known. I mean, there's, you know, probably so many people who have miscarriages never even understand why. And my mother, who had this same uh, translocated chromosome, she had four children and one miscarriage. So when I tried to explain my concern over it, she would just sort of shake her head and poo-poo the problem like, well I had four kids what's the problem you know it's not going to be an issue which Mm. again was not like her Um, normally she would be much more compassionate about that but she just uh, didn't seem to take it in at that time
1: Mm. that must have been hard to hear but yeah but you you got through it you eventually did get pregnant and give birth to a beautiful daughter Yes. yes yes
0: Oh, my goodness! Talk about euphoria after after such depths of grief um, to suddenly oh, actually have a baby. It was amazing.
1: Yeah, that that that's wonderful. and how how do you think all of this and all of those miscarriages and everything you're going through, how did that affect the way you ended up parenting your daughter? did that did you um, find yourself wanting to be super protective or how how did you? Definitely, definitely. Yeah.
0: And probably, it probably wasn't all the best for her. I mean, I can remember really that first year not wanting to let her out of my arms. I just, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to watch her every moment of the day and night and, and just hold her. And, and I remember because my mother was still alive at that time, my father had passed away. Um, not too long before, that I just, you know, keeping her in my arms felt like I could keep her safe. And I just, mm. I would hold her as long as I possibly could. And so that's, I don't think that's a bad thing. But um, I, I was definitely scarred from so much loss. Um, and then doubly and triply blessed by such a treasure.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So was your daughter required to like horses?
0: No, but it definitely seems (laughs) to run through the bloodlines. She actually has her own horse now. And in the beginning, um, we have lived on a horse farm. And she, in the very beginning, when she was very young, I used to have her on a, a backpack on my back and take care of the horses and clean stalls and fill water buckets and things. And... At the same time I was caring for my mom and it was, it was really overwhelming at times because as much as I wanted to be with the horses, it was just such hard work and I didn't have a lot left physically. But, so we actually, we took a break. There were some horses on the farm. We leased it for a while so we could see them and I didn't have to do the work. And then there came a time when she started asking, mom, can I have a horse mom um, and of course I wanted to but I was a little slow in getting into it because I thought oh it's a lot of work we have the horses here it's you know morning and night um but she does have a horse now and I am have not had a moment of regret um that we've been able to share that together it's, it's been so sweet
1: mm, that's beautiful very nice oh <laughs> I know you so, understand. Oh, I do. I do. Yes. We um, have had some horses in our family as well. Um yes. and, I, and I understand all of it, the hard work and the commitment. And, and with kids, you never know if they're going to stick with it. I, I think I did experience with my own kids um, a great passion for horses and then a gradual losing of interest. And that's always yeah. a risk. You know, you, you never know if they're going to stick with it. Yes. Yes,
0: I don't know um, still. My daughter, she's got a busy life, and it's. she doesn't have quite the um, intensity of passion that I think I had, yet she has the same deep love. And if she didn't have to take care of the horses, I think she would just be happy to have them forever. But the fact that she's got to take care of them does make it um, not cold as 100% appealing as it used to be.
1: Right, right. Understandable. Yes. Understandable. And I wanted to ask you, um, one of the things that's really interesting about your journey and your book and where this has taken you is that you now do a lot of work with different Alzheimer's groups and you go and you speak with them. And as you said earlier, um, you were hoping that your story could, you know, maybe just touch one person. And I think that it's certainly, you know, far surpassed that by helping a lot of people that are dealing with Alzheimer's or something like that. So what what advice do you generally give people who are going through the, the who, are, who are learning how to be in this caregiver role?
0: Wow, that is a tough, tough question because I don't always feel like I have advice. A lot of times I feel like I really just need to listen um, each story is so different, and there's pain in different places. I guess if I was giving advice, there's sort of a mix of things, and some might be, and I, and I have given some advice over these different um, situations that I've found myself in. Um, and one is to get support and it makes sure that you have whatever support you need, whether it's bringing somebody in to help, um, stepping out yourself so that you don't feel overwhelmed and just totally consumed with the caregiving. Um, another is, and this really was a gift to me as I was helping to care for my mom, is to really let go of your perceived Train of what you think is supposed to happen, you know. Let it go, forget that, and be in the moment with your loved one, because those moments are precious. And even if they're not who they used to be, embracing the person that they are in the the moment. And I know not everyone is as sweet as my mom was. Um, People can have different experiences of really um, some real hardship with parents or loved ones who become violent. Um, but if, if they just are different from who they used to be, allow them to be that and sort of let go of the expectations and join them for the journey as much as you can. Um, in the very beginning with my mom, my father in particular would always try to set her back in line and remind her that no her father's not alive anymore and no she's not at Lake George the place that she grew up and you know he would just try to bring her back and that just was so distressing to her she would find out over and over what my father died you're kidding and and that would just bring so much pain to her but Um, when he gradually learned, which it took him a long time and he didn't ever do it very well, um, but when he let go of some of those strict, um, (laughs) the parameters of, you know, sort of the way you have to get along in the world, if he was able to let go of those a little bit, life was just easier and easier for her. And, And certainly when I let go of all of the can-do, must-do, got-to-get-done things, Um, suddenly I was just sort of drifting with my mom on a little boat and we were just having some sweet experiences and those were memories that I I cherish today.
1: You know, that reminds me of your description of your horse where you you just are forced to be in the moment and Mm. deal with what's there, deal with what shows up.
0: Yes. It's funny how, you know, we as humans, we just, we have a hard time staying within ourselves. We, we just tend to, you know, get off track and go off in our minds or get into the future or go into the past. And to, it is such a gift when we can just be who we are and stay grounded. You know, it may not be easy, but it's where we're meant to be.
1: Uh, that is so wise and i think i'm just going to wrap this up right here because (laughs) that's (laughs) the perfect perfect sentiment to end on um and i want to thank you for being on the show you are
0: so welcome ellen it's such a a pleasure just a joy to talk to you
1: oh thank you so much and thank you all for listening my guest was ann campanella she's the author of motherhood lost and found You can find this complete interview, links to to Anne's book and her books books of poetry, her website and social media pages on our website, readysetgrit.com. Thanks again for joining us and please check in again next Friday when we release another episode with tips on how to turn your daydream into a phenomenal success.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit, your life on purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at ReadySetGrit.com, where you'll find daily inspiration, links to our social media, and where you can access our ebooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit. Inspired actions,
1: real results.